Colossians chapter 3, and we'll just read from verse 8 down to 14. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Again, we trust the Lord that is blessing to that reading of his word. And uh, we come again to this uh, passage this evening, as we've been thinking about this uh, series on the Christian's clothes. And uh, we come to the next item of clothing, which is long-suffering. Now, it's worth uh, just reminding ourselves of some of the things that we noted a a few weeks ago, particularly about the humbleness of mind or humility. If you remember when we were considering uh, that particular grace, we said that was really the foundation of the next four graces. Um, Meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And we were looking at meekness last time, which is, has a lot of similarity to what we're thinking about this evening with long-suffering. And we were thinking about how meekness is uh, really uh, primarily displayed in a Godward direction. We're to be meek, aren't we, towards God's word and towards God's will. We're to submit ourselves primarily to him. And this leads us on, as I said, to this next grace which is built on this same foundation of humility, which is, as Paul puts it here, long-suffering. And I want us to consider uh, four things about long-suffering this evening as we think about how to put this uh, item of Christian clothing on. And the first thing that I want to think about this evening is a a definition of this grace, a definition. What does this uh, particular word uh, actually mean? And Uh, You're going to have to forgive me this evening because we have to go really right back to the Greek again and do, uh, as it were, a a word study to get a a real idea of what this word uh, means, to get a sort of a fuller understanding. And uh, the Greek word that's translated here as long-suffering is a compound word. It consists of two words uh, joined together. And you have the word makros, which means long or great. We have that word in the English, don't we? We think of a macro lens and uh, other words where you see that, that, well, forget the word, is suffix or prefix, prefix put on, macro something, meaning big or large. And the other word that is connected to that word is the word thumos. And thumos means to be angry or anger. It's a, a word that finds its uh, root 
in the word for spirit or breathing. So someone who is angry breathes heavily. Heavily, they are. You know, you can sort of hear them as they're getting angry and they're venting. Now, the word thumos, this word anger, is one of two uh, main Greek words uh, for anger. The other word um, that is used, orge, has this uh, sense of settled displeasure. If we could use a, a picture, uh, an illustration, we could say this anger is like a fire and the heat of a fire that's burning. It's like a continual heat, a continual anger, a continual displeasure. But the word that's used here, this, this word thumos, that's used in, in this word long-suffering, conveys the idea of a sudden outburst of anger. Perhaps we could, uh, if we're using the illustration of fire, it's like a sort of an explosion, a, a, you know, a sort of the flames, as it were, coming out. Uh, it's an outburst of rage and passion. There's a, there's a fierceness uh, to this anger. Um, it's a sort of a mighty uh, welling up of a person's spirit. So when we bring these, these two words together, this macros and, and this thumos, the sense is uh, that this word means a restraining of this passionate outburst of, of anger. And it's a restraining not just for a moment or for a short time, but it's a sort of continual quenching of that anger, of that inward fire. And that's the, the definition, as it were, of the, of the Greek word that Paul uses here in uh, Colossians 3. Um, but the, uh, the English word long-suffering is also used in the Old Testament. If you turn with me, for example, to Exodus chapter 34, we see the word used here in describing God. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. This is when the Lord passes before Moses and It says this, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. And interestingly, the Hebrew word that's used here has a very similar meaning to the word that we're uh, considering in Colossians chapter 3. It literally means um, to be slow to anger or slow to wrath. Uh, The Hebrew literally would translate as long of nose. And and the idea is this, that when somebody gets angry, their nose begins to get red and hot. So if somebody has a a long nose, it takes them a long time before they get hot and and angry and and displeased. And so when you put these, these ideas together, the, the sense is this, that long-suffering is a, is a protracted restraint of our souls from yielding to, to an angry passion. And so this then is the very opposite of those things that we read of in verse 8, some of those things that we read there that we're to put off, anger, wrath and malice in particular. So we're to put those things off, anger, wrath and malice, and we're to be instead long-suffering long of nose, long to get angry and, and to have these outbursts of passion. And so there's a, there's a definition of this, this word long-suffering. But I think this leads us on to, to think about a second thing, and that is that this, is a, this grace is, has a distinguishing feature. And when I say that, I mean that in, in this sense, this grace is a distinguishing feature of God's. 
Not all the things that we have mentioned here are pre- prescribed to God himself. We're never told, for example, that God is meek. We're never told, for example, that God is humble. And I mean, we're not saying that God is not humble, we're not saying that God is not meek, but we're saying they're not de- uh, in this deliberate way prescribed to him. But the reference that we had back in Exodus tells us very clearly God is long-suffering. This is an attribute of God. It's an aspect of God's character. It's a distinguishing aspect of his character. And there's lots of places we could turn to. We've turned to Exodus, but you could turn to Numbers. Numbers chapter 14. And you have a very similar uh, statement here in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 18. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 18. The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. And again, you have it here very clearly uh, delineated for us. God the Lord, Jehovah, is long-suffering. This is part of his glorious character. And there's lots of other places we could turn to. There's uh, many passages in the Old Testament, Psalm 86, Jeremiah 15. But it's an attribute that is also spoken of in the New Testament. Paul mentions it a number of times. If you go to Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2 and verse uh, 14. I should say verse 4, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. He says there, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, that's God's goodness, and forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And again we have here, Paul is stating, God, he is good, he's forbearing, and he is long-suffering. This is his character. And of course Peter mentions this as well. We had this uh, a few weeks ago on Sunday evening. 2 Peter chapter 3 particularly mentions this attribute of God uh, on two occasions, but particularly verse 9, we have it again uh, clearly stated there. And the Lord, it says, is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to uswards, not willing that any should perish but it all should come to repentance. And so here is the nature of God. He is a long-suffering God. He refrains himself from pouring out his full wrath upon the sinner. From the human angle, God postpones. He delays his punishment. He holds back his wrath uh, from the sinner. If it were not for the long-suffering of God, we would have all been cast into hell a long time ago. Instead, however, God bears with those who are sinful and those who are froward. And in Romans 9, we're described as vessels of wrath uh, fitted to destruction. In Romans chapter 9, he says this, And yet God is long-suffering. He is uh, the one who is willing to, as it were, hold back this, um, this, this, this wrath upon us. It's in verse 22 there. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering 
the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. And I think um, Charles Wesley expresses this so well in his, in his hymn, Depth of Mercy, Can There Be, he says, Mercy still reserved for me, can my God his wrath forbear me, the chief of sinners spare. And, and the second verse says, I have long withstood his grace, long provoked him to his face, would not hearken to his calls, grieved him by a thousand falls. And Wesley's there expressing the fact that God has been long-suffering to him. As God's children, we, we have to give great thanks, don't we, that he isn't vindictive or easily angered, but he's slow to anger. And he is a God who is long-suffering. But I want to move on from that and to consider a third aspect to this grace uh, this evening and to notice that it's also distinctive. There's a distinctiveness to long-suffering. And um, what I mean by this is that when you read other translations of the Bible, the modern ones particularly, they've all replaced the word long-suffering. Uh, Here in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, they've uh, changed the word to patience. And uh, you'll find that it's true with this passage, you'll find it's true with Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. They've changed long-suffering there to patience in all the places. In actual fact, you won't find the word long-suffering in any of the modern translations, the ESV and the NIV and so on. And so the question that uh, comes into my mind is, are these two terms synonymous Is long-suffering the same as patience, or is there a difference? And one of the reasons why I ask that question is because if you just turn back to chapter 1 and to verse 11, we have both words mentioned here in the authorised version. Uh, Just to put it into context, we'll read verse 10. It says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. So here we have the, the two words in the English side by side, indicating that at least in the English, there is a difference between uh, these two words. Uh, the modern translations tend to translate the word that's translated as patience there as endurance or perseverance. Now if we go back to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, you'll also notice that the next grace that comes after long-suffering is forbearing one another. And when you think about these terms, patience, long-suffering, forbearing one another, there's a lot of similarities here between these these concepts, these ideas. And so uh, we've got these three terms here, uh, patience, long-suffering, and forbearance. And the question then is, well, what's the, what's, what makes them distinct? What's, their, what's the distinctiveness of long-suffering in particular that we're thinking of this evening? How is long-suffering different from uh, the other two uh, graces? And I think the difference is this, that long-suffering is a restraining of this passionate anger when we're provoked by people. Whereas patience is an endurance displayed towards things. So we're to display patience when we suffer ill health. We're to display patience when we suffer various afflictions. Patience is a a perseverance in connection with our circumstances. 
Long-suffering, though, is, uh, is this refusal to yield uh, to passion when we're molested by enemies, when we are opposed and persecuted, when we're reviled, when we're hated. The sense is this, that we're to bear with calmness and meekness all the injuries that others bring upon us. We're not to be annoyed when we are bitterly or maliciously oppressed. We are to remain calm, even when we're slandered, even when people speak evil against us, even when they make false accusations or insinuations or they lie about us or they assassinate our character. So long-suffering is towards people and what people are doing to us as they provoke us. It's a, it's a grace that's displayed outwardly to others. And this is why God is described as long-suffering. Because God bears with sinners. He, he bears with people, doesn't he? Not with things, not with circumstances. And so in this sense, God is not patient. Because patience has to do with bearing with, with circumstances. And of course, God is never frustrated by circumstances. God is never somebody who is, you know, thwarted by the things around him. He's never under affliction. He doesn't have to bear burdens because he is, of course, almighty God. Now, some of you here might be saying, you've just said that God is not patient. Well, what about Romans chapter 15? If you turn with me to Romans chapter 15, we have here the only occasion where God is described as being patient. This word that the modern translations use, the word endurance or perseverance. Romans chapter 15 and verse 5. It says here, Romans 15 verse 5, Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. And it tells us here that God is the God of patience. And so... Does this disprove what I've just been saying? Well, I think if you were to look at the context of this statement, um, it shows to us that what Paul is really saying is that God grants patience and consolation. He is the God who gives patience to his people and comfort, and he does so through the scriptures. You see that in verse 4. He enables us to endure. So it isn't really saying that God is patient God doesn't have to steadfastly endure anything, but he does enable his people to do so. And he gives to us that patience, that endurance. And so we have here in this word in Colossians 3, this long-suffering, it's towards others. And uh, I think it would be wrong to say God is patient. God is is actually long-suffering. He's long-suffering towards us as as sinners, And so I hope you can forgive me that sort of lengthy explanation, but I trust that you see the distinctiveness of what long-suffering is. It really is a, a God, a, you know, an attribute of God. It's something that is godly. And so when we are to put on long-suffering, we're to, we're to put on something that, is, that belongs to God. It's a characteristic, an attribute of him. Now... As with all the virtues that we've considered, the Bible gives us examples, uh, both positive and negative, of uh, these graces. Negatively, you could think of King Saul, couldn't you? How he boiled over in anger at David. He heard the songs that were sung comparing 
his victories with David's and he couldn't refrain from his angry outbursts and you see there an example of this sort of fire-like combustion, this, this bursting out in anger. But in contrast, of course, in, in David's life, we see someone who displays long-suffering and patience. He had to endure much affliction, didn't he? He has to show patience uh, with his circumstances as he waits for the kingdom. But he also had to be long-suffering with King Saul, didn't he? How often did Saul uh, rise up against him and pursue him? But he has to be long-suffering and uh, show and restrain his anger. I mean, there were so many opportunities. David could have taken the life of King Saul, but he has to rein in his, his anger. You can think of the prophet Jeremiah as well. He had to be long-suffering, didn't he? You know, if you read through the book of Jeremiah, you can note all the, the different ways and the, and the different expressions describing the way that the people hated him They rejected his message, didn't they? At times they just ignored him. They mocked him. They persecuted him. They rebuked him. They lied about him. Uh, These things grieved Jeremiah's heart, but he restrained from from bursting out into anger. And and there's, there's many other examples we could use, but perhaps we could just turn to the Psalms, because in the Psalms we see... Uh, perhaps this coming through more than any other um, book of the Bible, Psalm 69, for example. Here we see David showing us this long-suffering, how people persecuted him, hated him, reviled him, and so on. Just look at verse 4, for example. He says, They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies, wrongfully are mighty. Uh, Then I restored that which I took not away. And you go down to verse 7. He says, Because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame have covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. In verse 11 and 12 he says, I make sackcloth also my garment and I became a proverb to them. They that sit in the gates speak against me and I was the song of the drunkards. People were talking about David and they were uh, mocking David and he was even the song of the the drunkards as they stumbled down the streets. There's other places we could turn to. You think of Psalm 109. This, um, another psalm similar to 69 where we we see this, uh, the servant of God being attacked and uh, the enemies reviling Uh, the servant of God. And here again is David, Psalm 109, look at verse 2. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries. And But you notice what he says there at the end of verse 4. He says, but I give myself unto prayer. He doesn't burst out in anger at them. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't let his anger bubble up uh, and bubble over. But instead, he says, he gave himself unto prayer. And this, I think, leads us onto my fourth thing this evening as we're thinking of long-suffering. And that's uh, to think about that this is a dynamic grace. That long-suffering is active and not passive. 
David wasn't just sitting there in Psalm 109 soaking up this hatred that was aimed at him. He wasn't passively enduring all this vitriol. Instead, he was active. In this case, he was actively engaged in prayer. He he takes the, the anger that's directed towards him and he directs it to God And he uses it to to guide his prayers. And we can have at the back of our minds that this grace of long-suffering in Colossians 3 is a passive grace. That all we have to do is just sit there and endure whatever comes towards us, whatever's hurled our way. You know, to be sort of like a rock on a a beach that just sort of sits there as the rain falls and and the wave after wave crashes against it. You know, we can have this sense that as long as we don't succumb to despair, then we've fulfilled long-suffering. We've, we've endured the things that are thrown at us. But long-suffering is, is an active grace. It's not just enduring life and life's hardships, because if we, if we do that, then the anger that we're stifling, uh, the passion that, that we're seeking to restrain, can begin to fester within the heart. And instead of bursting out in in fits of passion and rage, it can sour into an inward bitterness. And it can sour into unkindness and resentment and even a jealousy or a sullenness. Remember like King Ahab when he didn't get Naboth's vineyard, he goes home and he's all sullen. No, rather long-suffering is active. It responds positively to provocation. And we can give you, think of an example. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we can have the example here of Hannah. You recall how she was provoked by her adversary, Peninnah, because Hannah had no children. She wept and she didn't eat. There was, it was continual, and particularly every year when they went up to the house of the Lord, Peninnah then particularly uh, provoked her and um, brought these you know, horrible words against her that because she was childless. And, and Hannah could have got angry, but instead she takes her case to the Lord. So we see another example of someone taking the provocation of another and bringing it in prayer to God. And she takes it to the Lord and she goes up to the house of the Lord at Shiloh And the very place where you expect her to find comfort and solace. And instead she meets Eli. And in verse 14 of that chapter, uh, Eli, he accuses her of being drunk. He sees her praying and she's there in bitterness of soul. And her lips are moving as she's praying, but the words are not coming out audibly. And Eli sees this and he says, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. I mean, if the wounds of Peninnah were not bad enough and not awful enough, to have the very priest of the Lord accuse you of being drunk in the very place where she perhaps was seeking comfort and solace. And I think Hannah at this point, she could so easily have boiled over at that moment. She could so easily, uh, in retaliation, have pointed out all the sins, the public sins, of Eli's family. Of all the things that Eli's sons were doing, that you can read about in in chapter 2 particularly. She could have pointed them all out, they were so public. But instead, a response in verse 15 and and 16 is, is exemplary. She shows great temperance and restraint. She she's a model here of gentleness. And she she calls him my Lord, and she talks about how she's got a sorrowful spirit and so on. 
And, and she replies in such a gentle way to, uh, to Eli. And she goes to, to Eli here and she talks to Eli and, and he's just accused her of being drunk, but then she leaves with his blessing. That's a remarkable thing, isn't it? Just with a soft answer. One minute he's accusing her of being drunk and the next minute he's blessing her in the name of the Lord's. By her, her soft answer, she had turned a moment of potential provocation into blessing. And our natural propensity can, it can often be, can't it, on many occasions, to yield to irritation and to stir up the fire and to get angry and to get even and to say our bit back. But Solomon reminds us, doesn't he, in the book of Proverbs, that he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his own spirit than he that taketh a city. And Hannah here shows exemplary behaviour. She, she rules her own spirit. And instead of uh, rising up in, in anger, she's slow to anger. And uh, Proverbs 25, 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. And so long-suffering is active, but it's also active in this sense that it seeks to replace the raging passion with hope. And we hope in the promises of God. Hope supports long-suffering. We know whatever we may suffer, there is a crown of life awaiting us. Whatever we may have to endure in this life, we can hold on to the promises of God. And so we, you know, no matter how grievous the trials and afflictions of our enemies, no matter what people may bring upon us, we, we always have to remember that our afflictions are light. That's what Paul says, doesn't he, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. And he says they're only for a moment. They last only for a season. They're, they're short compared to what we're going to have in eternity. And the extent of our sufferings is always tempered, isn't it, and, and measured by God. Job was only ever afflicted, as you were thinking on Sunday, by the devil and his three friends as far as God allowed and so this, this hope drives our long-suffering. We shouldn't boil over because we know who's in control and because we know the promises of God. But long-suffering is also active in this sense, that it adds to hope joy. We're to turn uh, the provocation of others into joy. Remember the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. At the end of the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, 11 and 12, it says this, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice! And be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And we see this in, particularly in the, uh, the life of the apostles in the New Testament. Acts chapter 4 verse 41. It, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. They've been imprisoned, but they leave rejoicing. Peter says, doesn't he, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Long-suffering then should be mixed with this joyfulness. That's what he says in Colossians chapter 1, that verse we read a moment ago. 
Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11. That we're to be strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering, with joyfulness. So there's this endurance, this patience, and this long-suffering, and, and they're to be combined with joyfulness. And of course we see this, don't we, particularly with our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the words of Hebrews and chapter 12, how he endured the cross, despising the shame. What does it tell us there? It tells us that he did so for the joy that was set before him. And there was a sense in which Christ couldn't be joyful on the cross, but there was a joy awaiting him in heaven. And so that's why the writer says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied, and faint in your mind. And of course, this particular grace, long-suffering, it's just exemplified, isn't it, in our Saviour. He was long-suffering in all his life. He was despised, he was hated. People accused him of being a devil. They rejected him, they slandered him, spoke ill of him, they lied about him. His life was one of constant suffering at the tongues of his enemies. You read Psalm 22 particularly, and you see how you get this sense of the barrage of insults and mockery that Christ faced, especially there at, the, at Calvary. It tells us that he was a reproach uh, before men, verse 6. He says, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the heads. But Christ was long-suffering. In actual fact, on the cross, he prayed for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, you see him taking long-suffering, actively praying. What an example to us when we are mocked or laughed or derided as those who follow Christ. Do we pray for those who mock us? Christ is our great example. Remember what Peter tells us, that, we're to, that he is our... Uh, our example that we should follow in his steps. Remember those words in, in uh, 2 Peter. Is it 2 Peter? Well, 1 Peter chapter... 1 Peter chapter 2. And how he says there, that's, For even here unto were ye called, because Christ, this is verse 21, also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So Christ is our great example. And so then we come this evening to, to pray tonight, and we can pray. Help us to be those who are long-suffering, to put on uh, this garment of long-suffering. Looking unto Jesus, as we read there in Hebrews, who endured that contradiction of sinners. And may we be like him, those who are slow to wrath, ruling our own uh, spirits.